0: The name of the message this morning is entitled, A Living Hope in the Wilderness. We finally get to the end of the book of Exodus. We'll be looking at Exodus chapter 40, verses 1 through 8, and then verses 34 through 38. This is the great story that ends the book of Exodus by the story of God's people under the leadership of Moses building and setting up the tabernacle of God. They've actually been working on the tabernacle for about 13 chapters, going back to Exodus chapter 25, where Moses and the people of God are commissioned to build a tabernacle. But what in the world's a tabernacle? The word tabernacle literally means dwell. A dwelling place. Remember the people of God have been begging for the presence of God to follow them and to be with them in the midst of the wilderness as they're going to the promised land. And God promises that, yes, his presence will be with them. But in order for God's presence to be with the people of God, God's presence needs a house. It needs a place where he would dwell with his people in the midst of the wilderness God needs a house, a a kingdom, a castle, a palace fit for a king. This would be a temporary dwelling, the tabernacle, that would later be used as the model for the more permanent dwelling, which is known as the temple. But it's an amazing story, the amazing way in which the book of Exodus ends here in chapter 40. Because remember... The story of Exodus begins with God separated from his people, but here in Exodus 40, it ends with God present with his people yet again. Exodus chapter 40, verses 1 through 8 and verses 34 through 38, the building of the tabernacle, a living hope in the midst of the wilderness. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect a temple a tabernacle of the tent of meeting and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony and you shall screen the ark with a veil and you shall bring in the table and arrange it and you shall bring in the lampstand and set it up its lamps and you shall put up the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle You shall set the altar, a burnt offering, before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, put water in it, and you shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen of the gate of the court. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter in the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. The cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night. And in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Now I know what many of you are thinking. Pastor, a tabernacle? In in the moments that we are faced with today and the the reality of our current crisis, we're going to talk about a tabernacle. Give me something relevant. Give me something practical. If you have those thoughts, you're probably in good company because more than likely the people of God here in the wilderness had those same thoughts. More than likely the people of God were crying out to God saying, a tabernacle we are giving up on this hope. We are giving up on this deliverance into the promised land. And you're giving us a tabernacle. But it was the very tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, that when the people of God understood the significance of the tabernacle in the midst of the wilderness, when they understood its significance, it radically changed them forever And it is my prayer this morning, when you understand the significance of the tabernacle and what it represents for the people of God, that you would be radically changed by it as well this morning. What does this tabernacle reveal to us about our God? The first thing It reveals to us is that God will do anything to be with us. The tabernacle reveals to God's people that he will do anything to be with his people. Remember the story of God up until this point. Ever since Genesis 3, we have been separated from God. A holy God is separated from an unholy people because of sin. But the tabernacle, what it reveals is that God is cutting in and making a path and making a way for a holy God to be reunited and reconciled with his people. The tabernacle announces that God will do anything and that God will move mountains to be with his people once again which might be a very confused at this point, for some of you, this might be a review, but for some of you listening, you have no idea what I'm talking about when, it is, when I'm talking about this tabernacle. So I wanna give you this visual. If we can put the visual up on the screen. And I wanna briefly go through what in the world was happening here in God's people being commissioned to build a tabernacle. Here is a simple graphic of the tabernacle. And I wanna take you briefly from right to left. You'll notice that there are three spaces and six pieces of furniture in the tabernacle that is being built here in Exodus chapter 40. That actually is spelled out for us in the all the way back through Exodus 25 through Exodus 40. You'll notice the three areas there's an outer courtyard. This is the place where anybody. If they were part of the family of God could go. All of the Israelites, the people of God could enter the outer courtyard. Next, there was the holy place. This was the area that only the priest of Israel could go. And then lastly, there was the most holy place or the holy of holies. And this was the place where only the high priest could go. The first high priest was Aaron, the brother of Moses. And he could only enter in once a year on the day of atonement to make atonement and sacrifice on behalf of the people of God. Now within these three spaces, there was six pieces of furniture. First, there was the altar of burnt offerings. This was put right in the entrance to the tabernacle. This is where the animal would be sacrificed and the blood would be shed. It was put in the, it was put in the center of the courtyard right in the entrance to remind the people of God that the only way you could approach God was through sacrificial atonement. Next was the bronze laver, which was full of water that the people of God would have to wash their hands with, further reminding them of their impurities. Inside the holy place was the golden lampstand, which would represent God being the light in the midst of darkness. Then was the table of showbread or the table of presents that was always filled with bread and the manna reminding the people that God would provide. Next was the altar of incense where incense could be seen burning and the smoke would be raising heavenward, a reminder that the prayers of the people were being lifted up to God. And then last but not least, as we enter the most holy place, we see the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy and the most significant piece of furniture for the people of God. It was a box of wood covered in gold. It contained the Ten Commandments, the two tablets that Moses received on Mount Sinai. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was what was known as the mercy seat, the cover. And on the mercy seat was two gold cherubims, which reminded the people of God of the cherubims at the entrance of the Garden of Eden, blocking humanity from entering into the presence of God. And in the center, in between the cherubim is where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice. It was the mercy seat, the place where God's Glory would dwell the throne of God on the mercy seat. So that gives you a quick visual of what is going on here. All right, we can move away from that graphic. But hopefully that just reminds us of what God was attempting to do. God was opening a way to his presence. Remember last week we talked about his presence literally means his face. To have his presence and face was the ultimate goal of God's people. But God's tabernacle would announce to the people of God here in the wilderness and would announce to us this morning that even in the wilderness, God is with us. That God is with us in the wilderness of life and in the valleys of life. That even in the wilderness of life, God will make a way to be with his people. It announces us the good news this morning that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God will do anything to be with his people. That is the first thing the tabernacle reveals to us this morning. The second is this, not only will God do anything to be with us, the tabernacle also reveals that God is bringing heaven to earth. The the tabernacle in the midst of the wilderness was a glimpse of heaven to the people of God in a barren wasteland. A few of the items in the tabernacle, the lampstand and the cherubim and the entrance to the east were all reminders of what? The Garden of Eden. It was a reminder of the Garden of God, where God first dwelled with his people, where the presence of God was first experienced. When we read about the lampstand in Exodus chapter 27, for instance. It is supposed to be built like a tree, to resemble a tree in the garden. When we see the cherubim all throughout the tabernacle, cherubim on the curtains and cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant, it reminds us of the cherubim who are standing guard at the Garden of Eden, not allowing humanity to enter in. And the entrance of the east of the tabernacle would remind us of the garden entrance to the east when humanity was banished from the presence of God. In chapter 38 of Exodus, we are told that all of the choicest materials are supposed to be used in setting up the tabernacle. Once again, a glimpse of the beauty of heaven. All of these things were done to do what? to announce to God's people, I am coming back to reclaim which rightfully belongs to me. There in the midst of the darkness of the wilderness, God wanted his people to have a glimpse of heaven. And so the tabernacle served as a reminder in their bleakest moments in life. The tabernacle pointed back to the Garden of Eden but pointed forward to Revelation 21 and 22 where God would establish the new city once and for all. The idea and the reality of heaven coming back to earth and the consummation of the kingdom. It was a glimpse of heaven to motivate the people of God, that what you're experiencing today is not your final chapter, that the wilderness that you find yourself in today is not your ultimate reality. And it reminds us that this morning, that whatever you're going through this morning, listen to me, Wherever you find yourself today, this for those that find themselves in Christ, that is not your final chapter, that is not your final destiny. For those that are in Christ, God is still at work and he gives us glimpses of heaven on earth to remind us that the best is yet to come. And I pray that you would find hope and good news that as you find yourself maybe this morning in the wilderness of life, that you would be able to say in Jesus Christ, this is not my final chapter. This is not my destiny. I will not be defined by what is happening today, but I will be defined by God's ongoing work on my behalf. Your current reality does not ultimately define you. God gives us a glimpse of heaven on earth to announce to us that the best is yet to come. And just as it allowed the people of God in the wilderness to persevere, I pray that the reminder that God is at work even in the wilderness would allow you to persevere as well. God is bringing heaven down to earth. But lastly, the tabernacle of God not only reminds us that God will do anything to be with us, and not only reminds us that God is bringing heaven to earth, but it also reminds us that God will solve our greatest problem. Like I said in the beginning, our greatest problem from Genesis 3 has been separation from God. How would God, a holy God, ever be reconciled to us unholy people? And you see, everything in the tabernacle showed us and pointed to the ways in which God would solve our greatest problem, that, that in and of ourselves, we could never climb through the barriers that existed in the tabernacle. But God shows that I will provide a way, that I will solve the problem underneath all of the problems of your life, and I will solve all of the problems underneath the problem and the brokenness of this world. But you see, here's the truth this morning that all of the elements of the earthly tabernacle and all of the elements of the eventual permanent temple of God here on earth all pointed forward to a greater tabernacle, all pointed forward to a perfect tabernacle. You see, the tabernacle on earth pointed to a true and perfect tabernacle, the very tabernacle of God found in the person of Jesus Christ You see, it would be in the Gospel of John, when Jesus comes to earth, in John 1.14, John declares the Word, who is Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwell in John 1.14 literally means tabernacled. You see, the Gospel writer announces that when Jesus came and put on flesh, He literally tabernacled among us. And that same John would eventually announce that the tabernacle says to the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, the earthly tabernacle established in Exodus 40 points to the true and perfect tabernacle, the person of Jesus Christ, who comes to make a way permanently between humanity and God, and here is the good news for you and me this morning. If you find your hope and trust in Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus announced at the very end, it is finished. And it would be at that moment, we are told in Matthew and in Mark, that the veil, the curtain in the temple of God was torn from the very top, to the very bottom as if only God himself could have torn that veil separating God from man and the tearing of the curtain, the tearing of the veil announced once and for all that this sacrifice on the cross would be totally and absolutely sufficient for all And for all who believe in Jesus Christ, this sacrifice would be sufficient for all time. No longer would there have to be a sacrifice here on earth. No longer would the people of God have to make atonement every year because Jesus Christ is the true and better tabernacle. Jesus Christ is the true and better temple all of the veils and all of the sacrifices and all of the priests and all of the altars ultimately pointed to Jesus Christ. The great divide has finally been conquered. So what does this mean? What does this mean for you and me today? For those that find themselves in Jesus Christ, I want to briefly give you two practical points of application. The first is this. For those that are in Jesus Christ, it means that you and I can experience the intimacy and the presence of God every single day. John would later say, not only has the word become flesh and tabernacled among us, but he says, we have beheld his glory In Jesus Christ, we can behold the glory of God every day, experience his intimacy and presence through prayer and through study of God's word. And you know what our problem is? We behold the glory of our smartphones way more often than we behold the glory of God. You know, a lot of people say, That that what you have, people died for that. Well, you can literally say that about the glory of God. People literally died in the tabernacle and temple trying to get the glory of God. And Jesus Christ announces you can have it all the time. So I pray that we would think about that this week. You can have the presence and the intimacy of the very God. You can have the glory of God all day every day, how are we taking advantage of that? Secondly, if it is true, that Jesus Christ has come to be the tabernacle, then we are later told in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that when Jesus enters our lives and he changes us, that we become the new tabernacle, that we become the temple, that God dwells within us, that the presence of God lives within us. This means that everywhere we go, we take the presence of God with us. Think about that. In our homes, we bring the presence of God. In our neighborhoods, we bring the presence of God. In our workplaces, when we eventually go back to work, we bring the presence of God. Everywhere we go as children of God, we are able to say, this is holy ground. Would people be able to look at your life and say, because you are present, that they also can sense the presence of God. This is our mission and our ministry to the world that we tabernacle wherever we go, bringing heaven to earth, bringing light into the midst of the darkness. How are you tabernacling? How are you bringing the presence of God into the darkness of this world so that people might be able to say that when they encounter you, they encounter the very glory of God. Let me end with this. It's a story about an older couple by the name of Harold and Vivian. Harold and Vivian had been married for almost 60 years, and Harold had been suffering for the last two years from Alzheimer's. It had gotten so bad with Harold that he began to confuse his wife Vivian with his mother. But Vivian was gracious enough to go along with it as she tried her best to love her husband, Harold. And one day after lunch, they retired to the living room and they were sitting in their chairs and Harold all of a sudden got up and announced that he wanted to take a nap. So he looked at Vivian and he said, Mom, would you, would you tell my wife that I'm going to my room to take a nap? And Vivian went along with it. And she said, son, of course, I'll, I'll, I'll tell Vivian, your wife, that you're going for a nap. But as Harold was walking away, something peculiar happened. Harold began to shake. And he grabbed the, the doorframe of his bedroom door. And he turned around. And he looked at Vivian and he said, wait, you're Vivian. You're my wife. And with that, Vivian stood up. And with tears in her eyes, she said, Yes, and you're Harold, my husband, my beloved. And the two of them embraced, and the two of them sobbed. Because even for a moment, even just for a moment, clarity had returned. Listen to me. When you encounter Jesus And you experience him for the first time. It is as if clarity and hope returns and is restored. It is as if you can see for the first time. It is as if the fogginess of the wilderness dissipates and you can see clearly. And my prayer is that through Jesus Christ and the reminder of his faithfulness towards you today, that clarity would return and hope would be restored. What a story of Exodus. To think that this story begins with God's people enslaved to the Egyptians. But here in Exodus 40, ends with a promise that they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One moment you're enslaved to the world, and in another moment you're standing before the very presence of God. Well, this doesn't only have to be the story of the people of God in Exodus. Through Jesus Christ, this can be your story this morning. Through a relationship with Jesus, your hope can be restored, your clarity can return. That even in the wilderness of life, your final chapter in life has not yet been written. That even in the wilderness, that you can see clearly yet again through a relationship with Jesus Christ. What a moment in the wilderness to encounter the presence of God, that can be your moment this morning. If you simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the true and better tabernacle Clarity can be returned and hope can be restored. To think in the midst of your wandering, to think in the midst of your wilderness experience, God can give you a living hope all through the power of the cross. This can be your moment today. This can be your story. Would you come to Jesus, your living hope?